Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. And good afternoon, Saskatchewan. This is Don Hewitt. As the big voice just said, filling in for Ballsy, of course, is in Vancouver. Should be touching down. Uh, just about now, I would think, Sports Cage. Brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to $250. A pretty good deal. And don't forget, call or text us uh, at any time, including right now, if you would like. The text line powered by Capital GMC, Buick, Cadillac, Saskatchewan's number one GM dealership. 306-936-6262. Uh, Sean Kleisinger, known in elite social circles as Zinger, will read out the text or 1-866-767-0620 if you want to have a little gab with Zinger and myself on the show uh, this afternoon. We've got a great show lined up. Zinger was talking about it a few minutes ago. You know, uh, Zinger, you played a song right before the news break called Horse Poor. <laughs> uh, Corb Lund and Jada Dreyer. I loved that song, Horse yeah, Poor. It's, it's, uh, it's like my anthem. You know what I mean, man? It's, it's my anthem. I, I, <laughs> no, the, the reason why I love that song, it's like my go-to song. When I need a short song, I just like type in Corb Lund, Horse Poor. It's like it's engraved oh. in my mind, man. So you It's know, a great uh, song, too, though. It's not bad, huh? Oh, I'd right. give it a 10 out of 10 yeah. is what I'd give it. And yeah. I was sorry that it was so short. I wanted to keep listening to it. The biggest news uh, probably this afternoon, uh, number one Labor Day game is sold out a week from Sunday against the Blue Bombers, which is great news for the Rough Riders. Also, receiver Braden Lenius, uh, John Hodge of Three Down Nation, breaking the news that he has signed with Saskatchewan a two-year deal, the second year $150,000 of hard money for 2023 of course 2021 he had 37 receptions 471 yards and four touchdowns he then signed with the atlanta falcons was incredibly cut on day one zinger yeah he literally got zero opportunity down there i mean ota's mini camp that's not an opportunity and he got cut right at the start of uh, training camp and i was kind of expecting for braid lenius to catch on with the team here uh, but no, training camps are wrapping up here in the NFL. And, uh, you know, for a young guy trying to make his way into the league, if you're not into a camp right at the start of camp, I mean, you're pretty much out of luck from sticking with the team, even on the practice roster. So I'm not surprised at all that he's going to be making his way back up north here. I'm glad to have him back in the green. No, it's 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 good news for Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. He's going to, to certainly help their offense. And we know that their offense... Uh, does need uh, helping. Let's take a look at the depth chart right now, Zinger, uh, for the game tomorrow night when Saskatchewan visits the BC Lions in Vancouver. Uh, it's interesting, you know, something that Dale Isaac, the CTV broadcasting legend, pointed out to me this morning. Uh, the Rough Riders are the only team in the West that does not dress a uh, third quarterback. 
Hmm. I thought that was interesting. And, of course, why do you think Zinger? It's naturally because our head coach is a special teams coach, and he wants that extra body on special teams. But, you know, they get a guy back, then they lose two. That's the luck this team has had, isn't it? When you take a look at all the changes mainly on offense, oh, great. You know, know, we've got the big news of Kyron Moore back, but... The bad news is that Duke Williams, the Duke Williams is gone. Jamal Morrow is gone. Uh, and you, you sort of say, well, gee whiz. I mean, you know, can we have any luck? And then after his best game of his career, Justin McInnes, uh, and he has more bad luck. I know he's got sore knees and a few other things. He can't play. They thought Mitch Picton would be back, but, you know, he just can't get over that ankle. Uh, but it's it'll be interesting though because Sam Emelis will start uh, in BC tomorrow night, and it's going to be a, a good thing to see what Samuel Emelis can do, who was mm-hmm. drafted in the first round by the Rough Riders uh, in the past draft. Well, it's been a head scratcher for a lot of people the past couple of weeks how Sam Emelis was behind the depth chart of Jake Hardy. Like we use his first round pick on a guy. And he's not even out there. So it's um, that's the one thing that caught my eyeballs when I looked at the depth chart today, Don, was, yeah, okay, we finally get to see some Sam Emelis out there. But like you said, you know, you you get one guy back, you lose a couple. And obviously, uh, you mentioned Frankie Hickson. He will be in the starting lineup. I don't think it will be too much of a, you know, uh, uh, a backward step as far as the running back position goes because I think Frankie Hickson, even Jason Moss said it, earlier this week that Moss thinks that Frankie Hickson is even more capable uh, compared to Jamal Morrow of taking the ball to uh, to the distance when he has the ball in his hands. So I'm really uh, happy for that. And defensively, I mean, across the board, finally some uh, continuity here. I mean, our linebacking core has played together the whole season, man. And, uh, and uh, Robertson back in the lineup. Hughes is also going to dress tomorrow, it looks like. So got to get some pressure after O'Connor. I mean, that's a, that's the key. Anytime you're facing a young uh, quarterback, man, if you could somehow get home, preferably right up the middle between, you know, the guards, give them no room to step up in the pocket. I mean, you can make a very long evening for Mr. O'Connor tomorrow night. Well, that's right. The back eight of the Rough Rider defense once again intact for another game, which is good. Leonard, uh, Robertson, and Marino will be in better shape having played last week after their month-long layoff. Uh, but Lanier being out, that's the kicker. I mean, as yep. I said, some guys are coming back, and you lose Lanier uh, in the middle of that defensive line. Brown, of course, is coming in in his place. But that's, that's a big loss. Lanier is having a great season. Uh, he's he's season. not getting enough attention that he deserves. He's very underrated there, I, I would say, Zinger. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, how many sacks did that guy have? And just uh, recently, like, he had the same um, number of sacks as Pete Robertson, right? And uh, he's he can he's one of those guys that can play all along defensive uh, all along the defensive line. Like he can be your defensive end. He can play in the middle. And that versatility, I think, is key, especially when uh, you're lacking some um, depth as far as injuries go along the defensive front. So that's definitely a big loss, I think, for the Riders. But with that said, like we do have, uh, you know, some capable guys in there. I mean, we're dressing eight defensive linemen tomorrow night once again. So uh, um, that just goes to show that you think the Riders might be shuffling in and out, keeping some legs fresh out there tomorrow night. 
A.C. Leonard and Pete Robertson, obviously you want them to play as many snaps as possible, right, because they're mm-hmm. premier pass rushers. But uh, I always like to see how, you know, uh, dressing eight linemen, and that's good news for uh, Charleston Hughes when uh, you have Robertson ahead of you, when you have A.C. Leonard ahead of you. That just goes to show, like, Hughes' legs are going to be fresh because you got to right. believe that Robertson and Leonard are going to be playing a lot of snaps. So when Hughes is out there, I kind of expect big things from him, and that's kind of like what he's been doing the whole season long. When he's out there, he gets home. I mean, so I can't wait for tomorrow night to see what happens. And that is a trend in the CFL right now. Pardon my slightly uh, sore voice or mm. sore throat. Uh, don't really have a sore throat, but lost a bit of my voice there. You sound but, nice, uh, and nice and deep today, Don. You sound yeah, good, man. Yeah, thank, yeah. You. thank <laughs> you very much. But, um, ro- you know, rotating eight defensive linemen is not just something the Rough Riders have done. It's something that's uh, going on in the league. Uh, you know, we're going to talk more about the depth chart as we go throughout this show, Zinger. But right now, uh, let's go to Ballsy as he chats with BC Line offensive line coach and former University of Saskatchewan Husky Kelly Bates. Well, sometimes coaches get too much of the blame and sometimes they get too much credit. But the people I talk to credit this guy with the help and solidify that BC Lions offensive line. Humboldt's own Kelly Bates, O-line coach for the BC Lions. Things are looking pretty good in your world right now in terms of the offensive line. Uh, yeah, they're, they're a uh, good group of men. Um, I think uh, it's probably the... It's such an enjoyment to come into work every day and work with these guys. They they are process oriented, and you know there's no ego bigger than the group. And and when you got a group like that, it's fun to come to work and and work to get better all the time. Do you see signs of this last year? Because the old line's not a lot different than it was last year, but it is way different in terms of performance, Kelly. I, I think there's many factors that make the performance seem different. I. I at first, you have to credit the guys and and the work they put in in the off season and the, and the commitment they have to the system we have in place. I, I think that's that's helped. And you know, each one of those guys is not the same person they were last you know a year ago. They they've they've grown and they've you know they've got another year of professional football under their belts. And then there's so many other factors. There's you know, all of us as a coaching staff being together for another year, being in the same offense, growing this offense. Um, you know, the the quarterback that's been back there for the entirety of the year and, and the way he plays the game, and, you know, he makes all of us look better. So there, and then, you know, they say t- protection is a team game, and it is. You know, that's everything from, from the concepts we run to the sixth and seventh protectors, whether they're backs or receivers, and, and to the quarterback decision-making, it makes every bit of difference in terms of making us all look good at what we're trying to do. Kelly Bates, uh, you know, we hear the word special as it uh, relates to Nathan Rourke. From your eyes, the guy who played in the league, now is coaching in the league, just uh, how special uh, is he, and is that an adequate uh, description? I think it's, it's if not if anything, it's not adequate enough. It's, it is what he is. He is, he is a, a special talent. But that's just part of it. Um, he's got these gifts and these tools that he's worked to hone and get better. But I think it's what everybody doesn't see that makes him who he is. It's the work ethic behind the scenes. It's that guy that maybe you see for you know three hours on game night or a couple hours during practice, you know, from a fan standpoint. But it's the countless hours he puts in 
to making himself who he is. It's the film work. It's the study. It's the physical preparation with his body. It's the compete level that he has. Uh, it's the guy that's you know 24 years old but approaches this job like a, a seasoned veteran. It's you know all those factors make him who he is. It's it's everything that people don't see that he puts in that makes him what he is. So Michael O'Connor gets the start uh, behind uh, center uh, this week. Uh, you know, just talk about uh, your uh, confidence in Michael O'Connor, the the guy who led the UBC Thunderbirds to a Vanier Cup, another Canadian quarterback, which is cool. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm very proud of Michael's approach to this week. You know, nobody, all of us that have played this game, uh, the majority of us have gotten an opportunity because someone else has has been injured or something has, uh, you know, whether age is taken. So any of those things, rarely do you ever uh, just get that opportunity out of the gate. And, you know, to Michael's credit, he addressed that with the team. He addressed that with the offense. And and nobody ever wants to earn their opportunity like this. They just don't. But it would be a dishonor to, to the work that's been put in by 12 and the entire offense in terms of where we've got to this point to not come in and, and take advantage of this opportunity. And that's Michael's approach. He's not trying to be someone else he's not trying to be number 12 he's trying to be number 11 and you know i'm proud of him and his approach to this week and it's been fun to watch him enjoy himself on the football field does it change anything from an offensive lines perspective when you have a taller quarterback or a guy that you know different cadence or a different way of maybe approaching the game different even skills it doesn't it, it may change game planning maybe to a degree um, but honestly, it's it, we have an offense, and we run that offense. And Michael's been operating that offense uh, since training camp, and he's been improving the entire time. So it really doesn't change anything. I, we're, we're not going to change what and who we are. Um, Michael comes in, and we have that next man up mentality, and, and we still have to go out and do everything we do with great technique and 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 an aggress an aggressive nature and and be what we have been for the last uh, 10 weeks. Give me a sense of the BC Lions locker room. Eight and one. Uh, people felt you won the battle, but you may have lost the war with your big-time quarterback on the shelf. What's the mood like in the locker room? Does this galvanize you guys? Honestly, it's just such a good group of guys in that locker room. It, it, I think what you learn uh, is with anything in life, you know, it's obviously everybody just feels terrible for Nathan because it's such a devastating thing to have happen to a guy who was having a record-breaking year. Um, but then you see Nathan's attitude and his approach to it, and that just lifts everybody up and, and re- makes us realize that we can both feel bad for Nathan and what's happened, but now we've got another job to do, and we'd be dishonoring his, you know, his effort to this point if we didn't go out there and do what we're supposed to do. So you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and say we didn't feel bad. I mean, I feel terrible for the kid, but... You know, it's just having him around and the way he approaches it. It's time to get back to work and it's time to keep doing what we're doing. And that's what they, what's, that's what this special group of people have done. Well, uh, no disrespect to anybody in your team because you're all working hard and you're all pros, coaches, and players alike. But I'll tell you what, that kid was taking the league by storm. He was becoming the face of the league. Has that, has that excitement started to spread in BC? I'm heard, I'm hearing the Rourke jerseys are flying off the shelf there. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I I live in my own little world. I come to work. <laughs> I work. I spend my time, uh, any off time, with my family and my girls and and uh, and my wife. And and uh, I tell you what, though, when you go downtown for game day, the atmosphere that our owners have had 
has put time and effort and money into creating. Um, combine that with you know the the record we have at this point in time, and it's it's been really exciting to head downtown for game time again because it reminds me of of my playing days. It really does. So I hope that it continues to take the city by storm, and I hope that uh, you know we continue to build a brand out here that people are excited to be a part of. Good Saskatchewan guy. He's our enemy tonight, but uh, he's a good Saskatchewan guy. That would be Kelly Bates. Thanks for your time, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So runner at second here in extra innings. Jackie Bradley Jr. is out there as George Springer swings and drills one to left, and it's off the wall. Bradley in to score. Springer on his way into second. He is safe, and the Blue Jays have the lead. This time they have a runner in scoring position. That ball way up there as George Springer trades places with Jackie Bradley. Blue Jays take down the Red Sox in extra innings last night, 3-2. The final score, George Springer drove in the go-ahead and game-winning run in the top of the 10th. Jays look to keep it rolling tonight against the Sox. Opening pitch just after 5 o'clock, George Springer. Today's sports cage clutch performer for Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson, Challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer, call 781-1077. And speaking of the Blue Jays, I've been thinking about this for a while now. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. of the Blue Jays, I've loved his hair for a long time, and I feel like my hair is long enough now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Lourdes Gurriel has, like, pineapple hair. So I'm thinking about maybe doing something like that Don but we'll see I might look like too much of a goofball if I do that so I might hold off uh, we're going to take a break on the other side Don Hewitt will chat with MP member in Saskatoon Grasslands Kevin Waugh you're listening to the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM joining us now on Sports Cage is Kevin Waugh the Conservative MP for Saskatoon Grasswood of course, Kevin is on the Heritage Committee that has been in the past uh, talking to Hockey Canada and its executives about the absolute debacle that's going on with Hockey Canada. Of course, a slush fund to pay off um, alleged sexual assaults, etc. You've probably heard all about it uh, in the media in the last few months. Kevin is at the forefront of trying to get to the bottom of this and what's going on with Hockey Canada. Well, I guess let's just start with this, Kevin. I was going to get into how people weren't reacting very well to the World Juniors in Edmonton, but it just seems like since the last time we, we talked to you, nobody has resigned. It just seems like Hockey Canada is stonewalling pretty much anybody who tries to get to the bottom of this situation. Well, it is summer, uh, Don. So as you know, most things in hockey world uh, start up here in September. The only thing that's happened is the chair of the Board of Governors, Michael Brindamore, has resigned. His term was up anyways in November. Andrea Skinner from Toronto, a lawyer, has taken over for the three months. Um, other than that, Don, you know, we've had former Supreme Court Justice Thomas Cromwell. He's agreed to look at the review of the governance structure. And that is part of the action plan. And I think everybody... At least for me, I'd like to wait till Cromwell's report. I certainly have some issues with the governance because, as it stands now, in my own opinion, and mine only, I believe Hockey Canada gives too much power to the chief executive officer. 
you know, uh, we can look down the list, um, Nicholson and Tom Rennie and now Scott Smith. And the Board of Governors in several occasions have been left out into the dark. So I think the governance structure is a good starting. But, but you are right. A week ago in the Angus Reid poll, there is little confidence in Hockey Canada. And 58% said that sexual assault is a major issue, and they have weak confidence in Hockey Canada. And I really think that's going to be an issue going forward. How does Hockey Canada reach out and get people excited again about the sport? Because it certainly has been damaged here in the last several months. Now, there's been reports of uh, members of the Hockey Canada board receiving things like iPads, expensive wine, gold rings for any championship hockey Canada wins, luxury accommodations, where will it ever end, large screen TVs, home theater systems, I need one in my basement, Kevin, luggage, five-star restaurants. They're accepting all these gifts. So how do they have any clout over the Hockey Canada executive when they're, they're being basically, you know, paid and bought for, if, you, if that makes any sense? It does make sense, and, and that's been an issue. I've talked to two board members from 2017 and 2018, and they talked about it, uh, the swanky hotel rooms, uh, the expensive wine, the expensive meals, um, the upgrades that they do get as board members of Hockey Canada. And I think that's part of the governance that we're going to see from former Supreme Court Justice Thomas Cromwell. And it's really discouraging many hockey families in this country because uh, right now, in fact, across this country, people are putting their money down for registration for hockey. And, uh, you know, $7.6 of their money from the National Equity Fund has been spent already in the past on sexual assault cases. And they didn't know that till the Globe and Mail exposed that early in July. And I, I just know talking to parents when they're putting down hundreds of dollars for their kids to enroll in hockey, which is a great game, Don. Let's not lose the, the fact that hockey still is uh, enjoyed by many in this country. Yep. But it's the way that Hockey Canada has gone about it that has several families kind of making a second choice maybe for their sport choice in their household now. Now tell me if this is right or wrong. What I understand is coming September 19th, you will have some former uh, Hockey Canada board members testify in front of your Heritage Committee? Well, we haven't decided um, going forward. Um, Parliament starts up on September the 19th, which is a Monday, and that's usually when the Heritage Committee meets, is mm -hmm. Monday on Wednesday. And so the first week, we really haven't determined that. We've had some issues with other um, interesting um, expenditures by the Canadian Heritage uh, Department that we may want to bring forward on racism that has uh, tipped its ugly head here in the last week. So... To be honest with you, um, nothing has been uh, finalized yet for the first uh, meeting that we have on September the 19th. That could change in the coming days and weeks. But right now, when I think we'll get back, we'll, 
we'll talk about our next steps, not only with Hockey Canada, but uh, other important matters dealing with Canadian heritage. Now, I'm going to go one step back. Hockey Canada's, you know, the figures and their ledgers seem to be cloaked in secrecy. I mean, you got the Globe and Mail telling us what's going on, but not Hockey Canada. Like, is there, like, forensic accounting going on? Like, how are people trying to figure this out? Because apparently when they're trying to, it looks like it's a mess or things are hidden. Yeah, you know, the media's done, I think, a fairly good job uh, in the last couple of months. I wouldn't say so prior to that. Uh, because there was only one uh, person from TSN that broke the uh, sexual assault scandal from 2018, and that was Westhead, of course. Mm-hmm. And now everybody has decided to uh, jump on and do some investigation into Hockey Canada, which you know probably should have happened months, if not years ago. Um, but it's a huge organization. Hockey Canada has 650 registered players in this country, and that, you know, from four years old up to 90 years old, uh, senior hockey and just, you know, fun hockey. Like yourself, when you go out, when you pay a registration fee, some of that does, in fact, go to Hockey Canada. And, uh, you know, I think Canadians are watching, especially yesterday, uh, Don, when the report came out, two players were involved in the alleged sexual assault with video from the 2003 World Junior Hockey out of Halifax. Now, these are players that have already retired from the National Hockey League. We're bringing them out 19 years later. So there's several facets. The NHL said they were going to do an investigation on 2018, the London, Ontario incidents. I would think that should be coming out in the month of September. So I think we have a lot of... um, a lot of eggs up in the air right now. You know, the 2003 allegation out of Halifax, the 2018 allegation, and then, of course, just the the way Hockey Canada presents itself. You hit it right on. Um, summer hockey isn't a, uh, you know, it did not do well in Edmonton. 4,000 per game that Canada played for the World Junior Men's, and the, the last game had 13,000, but there's speculation that was even, you know, papered to get that many into the rink. So I think there's a lot of questions still need to be answered. And I hope the Canadian Heritage Committee, when we do get back to Ottawa in September, will we'll bring back some officials, including, I think, the Supreme Court Justice Thomas Cromwell, to talk about his findings if it's released in time by the 19th of September. Well, I was in Edmonton, ironically enough, at the start of the World Juniors, and it was a dead issue. Like, people were not paying attention to it. And they, I know the summer issue for sure, but they, there was based, no doubt about that there was sort of a, a protest going on in Edmonton. What's sort of galling, though, of course, Canada uh, wins the gold medal in overtime, beating Finland. And meanwhile, Donald Smith, the CEO of Hockey Canada and all his executive cronies, they get a bonus because they won the gold medal. Is that right, Kevin? That's right. They do get bonuses. They have that worked into their contract. Uh, Not only Scott Smith, who is the new CEO of Hockey Canada, but others associated with Hockey Canada. Um, And that's, you know, that's always been in their contract. If, in fact, Canada does win gold in women's or men's or Paralympics, we do get a bonus on that, and that has been revealing to some because 
let's face it, they're the CEOs of the operation, but the World Junior itself is, you know, each Canadian Hockey League team sending players, um, you know, like the Regina Pats did and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, to, to find out that these executives get a bonus for a gold medal is appalling. Again, who pays that? Well, it's the registration fee and so on. And and that's where parents are going to have a big say, I think, going forward. The brand of Hockey Canada has really been damaged. And um, how it's going to move forward is going to be interesting. I, interestingly enough, I've had Zoom calls from gymnastics, uh, rugby, swimming. Uh, they, too, have some issues with sexual assault and coaching. And I think this is going to land in Sport Canada, who has done a very poor job administrating funds because they were the first four years after the fact of the sexual assault in 2018. They withheld uh, funds to Hockey Canada, and that's caused the major sponsors of the World Junior to finally wake up and say, listen, we're just going to take a break for the time being and see how Hockey Canada and the executives deal with the sexual assault and and what is their action plan because i think everybody is interested in seeing how they they're going to get out of this and it's going to take a long time i feel right and i apologize of course the ceo of hockey canada is scott smith not donald smith i guess i just like the name donald kevin i don't know <laughs> anyway well, scott go ahead over you know to be fair scott smith took over from Tom Rennie, who resigned or actually retired on July 1st. And that was an so interesting date the, that he retired, by the way, was it not? Yes, it was. And when uh, Westhead broke the story for TSN in um, late April, early May, uh, Tom Rennie announced that same day, I'm leaving Hockey Canada. I'm, I'm going to have the retirement date of July 1st. So you're right. It was very suspicious that... Uh, Tom Rennie, who was the head for four years, uh, decided that July 1st he'll exit and and handed off to Scott Smith. Of course, some major sponsors, major companies in Canada have dropped their sponsorship of Hockey Canada. What we're hearing now is certain people in Hockey Canada are going to them and asking them, what will it take to get you back? And so far, Kevin, nobody's coming back. Yeah, you know, that's interesting um, because the major sponsors like Scotiabank and Canadian Tire and Tim Hortons and and so on have been under tremendous pressure. Uh, In fact, I was in Canadian Tire store the other day, and people are talking about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're talking about, thank you, Canadian Tire, for just sitting this World Junior out and getting an evaluation because, you know, you are a major sponsor, and money talks. Money talks in sports, whether it's football or hockey or anything. And so when the sponsors got together, one by one started dropping off saying, look, we're going to take a time out here till you get your house in order. That resonated with Hockey Canada. They get 6% of their funding from the federal government, which isn't a lot of money in, in respect of and, um, you know, their sponsorship dollars are far more important to them than any money the government gives to Hockey Canada. So when the sponsors decided to put a pause and say, we're just going to wait this out and see what you, your uh, action plan is and how you're going to go forward with the action plan, that hurt Hockey Canada far more than the federal government pulling their funding of 6% until they see some 
some improvement from Hockey Canada. Now, Kevin, you're a longtime sportscaster in Saskatoon, and you were a darn good one, by the way. Um, what's going on with the Rough Riders right now, Kevin? Well, each team goes through this. Um, you know, I'm also a Red Sox fan. Uh, <laughs> you know, the Boston Red Sox, and here they sit eight games out of a wild card, and everyone's pointing fingers. Uh, that happens in sports. I mean, the Riders, uh, uh, they have a tough assignment uh, tomorrow in Vancouver, and then, of course, the back-to-back to Winnipeg. Um, but they have to get more disciplined. I think everybody that has watched them through the whole season uh, Dickinson, the head coach, is going to have to put the hammer down. And if he doesn't want to do that, someone else will. And um, we're disappointed, of course, in this province because the Riders are the number one franchise. And they're hosting the Great Cup, which puts extra pressure on the football club. And for the quarterback situation, we all know Fajardo was not 100% healthy. But at the same time, the defense did not play very well last week against the BC Lions. Yes, uh, Nathan Rourke seems to be the new Doug Flutie in this league. But, you know, for BC fans, you know, Rourke is going to be gone possibly for the rest of the season. But uh, the writers have to look in the mirror, Don. They did very well financially last year. Fans are not happy in this province, and they have a chance in the next three weeks to determine if they're going to be contenders for the Great Cup if they show up tomorrow in Vancouver, but specifically the back-to-back with the defending Great Cup, uh, Great Cup champions, I think will tell a lot where the football team is going to go after September. Kevin Walk, Conservative MP for Saskatoon Crosswood, and thanks for joining us, uh, Kevin, and uh, have a good upcoming weekend. Yeah, thanks a lot, Don. Take care. It's 448 with the Sports Ticker, and it's brought to you by Bronco Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. They're hiring right now. Starting salary for service technicians is a nice $75,000 plus signing bonus. You can give them a call at 781-2090. So the Saskatchewan Roughriders have announced today it will be a full house at Mosaic Stadium. When the Winnipeg Blue Bombers make their first visit to Mosaic Stadium this season, the 57th edition of the Labor Day Classic has officially sold out today. Awesome news there. Some other big news in Rider Nation today. According to John Hodge of Three Down Nation, receiver Braden Lenius will be signing once again with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Lenius went down south for a brief stint with the Atlanta Falcons this offseason. CFL Week 12 kicks off tonight in Winnipeg. Stamps and Bombers from IG Field. We will hear from the voice of the Stampeders, Mark Stephen, right after the 5 o'clock news. Don. Yeah, and the Rough Riders once again dominating TSN television ratings uh, last weekend. Zinger, uh, 658,200 watched uh, the BC Lions beat Saskatchewan at Mosaic Stadium. The other three games did very poorly, actually. They were up against the Blue Jays and the World Junior Final. Now, check this out. 1.4 million on TSN watched the gold medal game between Canada and Finland. That's usually around 6 million. Oh, I for sure never watched one second of that, Don. So Good for I'm, you. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm boycotting that stuff that for a goes, long time. That goes to show you. I agree, Zinger. Yeah. You're a man of principle. That goes to show you people are not happy. But speaking of happy people and people that know a lot about hockey, let's go to professional golf professional Brian Raymond out at the beautiful Flowing Springs. And, and Brian, uh, how's things going out at the golf course today? 
You are absolutely right. It is wonderful out here. It's uh, nice and warm. We've got a little bit of a breeze. The sun's shining. It's a wonderful evening of golf. And the course, uh, obviously in great shape. Uh, people are saying the fairways are the best ever, Brian. Yeah, that's probably true, and uh, as well, the greens are, are the best they've ever been as well. So the course is in great, great shape, and, uh, you know, we've been fairly busy. Uh, we still have some great specials, of course. Uh, if you're coming out to play uh, this weekend at any time, we're taking bookings. Uh, uh, normally $52. After 3 o'clock, it's 32 And uh, for this weekend, uh, the last weekend of this, it's uh, $17 after 6 o'clock. Uh, starting on Monday, it's uh, Seventeen dollars after five thirty-nine. So we're moving that start time up because of the. Of course, the days are getting shorter, and we want people to be able to at least get nine holes in during their twilight round. And of course, Mondays and Wednesdays, seniors and ladies, twenty-nine dollars to play the golf course. So if you're sixty and over and you're a lady, it's a great deal Monday and Wednesday. And if you're neither of those, we still have a good deal for you. It's thirty-nine dollars. Absolutely great prices. And as you know, Brian, even though your greens are in perfect shape it doesn't help my putting <laughs> well you have to come and talk to me don yes that's right brian but, raymond uh, will give you a lesson too, don is we have a fantastic driving range it's all grass no mats lots and lots of room we can uh, certainly accommodate uh, as many as 50 or 60 people on our driving range that's how big it is and i also enjoy your hot dogs out at the clubhouse there brian a hot yes, dog and a cold beverage is, is nothing nothing better in the summertime in golf is there brian <laughs> that's absolutely right <laughs> Anyway, so Zinger just said he wouldn't watch any World Juniors, and uh, I didn't either. Did How about you? Are you protesting too? Uh, Don, you know me better than that. Yeah, you can't help yourself. Exactly. Well, we'll forgive you. But, uh, lucky man. I, I mean, you know, anytime I get a chance to watch Conor Bedard, I'm definitely going to take it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to him uh, this year with the Pats. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, do you think the Pats will have a better team this year? Brian? I think so. I like the changes that they've made so far. They've certainly boosted up, boosted, uh, boosted their goaltending situation, and uh, you know I think they're they're probably going to be they're going to be older than they were last year. So you know the, some of those young guys will be stepping in and uh, doing their thing. I guess a lot of people forgot when they looked at how the team did. They forgot how young they were in many areas of the team, didn't they, Brian? I think so too. And uh, you know I know at the beginning of their last year there were some questions about Connor Bedard, but he certainly. Uh, uh, dispelled all those uh, concerns because uh, he can certainly play. And I can tell you right now that at one time you were the arena announcer or the announcer uh, in-house in, in the, at That's the correct. Pat Games and you were really, really good. You, I don't know, why did you, why did you ever leave? Because you, I, I loved you. You were great. Well, no, you got to remember I, I started scouting and uh, there wasn't going to be much time to spend at, uh, at the arena here. Right. Can, right. We, so can we hear a goal call? Can we hear a goal call, like a Barrett-Jackman goal call or something like that, Brian? Well, you know, uh, I've had a little practice at it. Okay. <laughs> Scored by number four, Barrett-Jackman. No, I don't know. What number was Barrett-Jackman? He was number uh, number five? Number two, number two. Yes, that's right. Uh, number two, there we go. Now, did when you watched Barrett-Jackman, Brian, were you pretty convinced he'd have a long career in the NHL? Oh yeah, he's uh, he was that kind of a player. Not flashy, really, but uh, a very, very solid defensive player. And uh, I, I wasn't surprised at all that he had a great career in the National Hockey League. Were you the PA announcer at the time when uh, when Barrett Jackman was on the Pats? Was that the time yes. frame? Yeah, man. Yeah, that, that would have been me. That's that's when I used to go to games when I was just a little toddler, Don. Well, and I was I listening mean, to the one and only Brian Raymond, and I had no clue yes. for these couple past years here when I've talked to him like two times a week. Uh, well, <laughs> the difference between Brian and I is like today my voice is lower because 
I don't know what happened. I, I, I'm, something happened with my voice. I, I don't have COVID. I did my tests. But the difference between me and Brian is Brian actually has a naturally deep voice, which is better. Hey, Brian. You're going to make me blush, guys. <laughs> so, Brian, if we want to get a, a tea time and stuff like that, or maybe even some golf lessons like myself, I need some golf lessons. How do we get a hold of you at Flowing Springs? Well, all you need to do is pick up the phone and dial 306-543-5050. And you can now book online at flowingspringsgolf.com. Right on. Thanks for your time today, Brian. Have a good weekend. You too, guys. Take care. Hey, Don, we got uh, some Sasto pick the score. I just realized this. We got uh, two tickets to the Labor Day Classic, and just today mm-hmm. it was announced that the Labor Day Classic is sold out, completely Boy, sold out. That's so, valuable then. Yeah, so you can give me a call right now, 306-936-6262, toll-free 1-866-767-0620. I'll take caller... Oh, what am I feeling today, Don? What kind of caller do I take? I'm going to take caller number seven today because I feel like Cody Fajardo is going to get the Riders offense back on track tomorrow night. So caller number seven will uh, win themselves two tickets to the Labor Day Classic, and they will also be entered in to win the $200 Sastel gift card uh, at the end of the week, which we'll announce on Monday coming up here. And... If you win that gift card, you'll be entered in to win a sweet experience next year at Mosaic Stadium at one of uh, the Ryder home games. And when I say sweet, I don't mean like cool game, man, sweet game. I mean like luxury sweet, like kickbacks, oh. uh, kickback, relax, put your feet up, take your socks off or keep them on if they stink type of experience. You know what I mean? So give me a call right now. One more time. The phone number is 306 936 Six two six two, and I'm gonna. Oh, look at the lines, Don. They're they're lighting up. So I'll let you take you have, over there. Do you have now. any texts or what? Yeah, uh, yeah, we got we got a couple texts as well. Trevor's listening in Vancouver. He's actually going to the game tomorrow night on the on the, the text line. Trevor, loyal listener, he is a big Rider fan living out there in Vancouver, and he seems to think that the Riders will come away with a win tomorrow night. So I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna invest in what Trevor's saying right now, and I'm gonna be like, okay. Maybe we got to go to spreads.ca and lay a couple dollars on this for tomorrow night, Don, because I think Trevor's onto something. He's uh, predicting a 34 to 24 win for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Okay, uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So and Ballsy thinks they're going to win too. He said that so far uh, this week. You know, everybody. I think you'll agree with the Zinger. Everybody is cheering for Cody to turn this around. I mean, fans like Cody. He still gets cheered uh, when their player introductions occur at Mosaic Stadium. And wouldn't that be wonderful if he could have a good game tomorrow? Oh, that's exactly what this organization needs. Not just Cody, not just the offense, not just the fans. Everybody in the province of Saskatchewan needs a good football game from the starting quarterback tomorrow night. I mean, even if it just means that we can sleep a little better tomorrow night, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's massive. It's the biggest game of the year, and we've been saying that for the past three, four, five weeks now. You know, the next game, blah, 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 the biggest game of the year. No, this is the biggest game of the year. Tomorrow night, 8.30 p.m. kickoff, our pregame show on the air at 5.30 with uh, yourself and Daniela Ponticelli, of course, and West Cates. Well, I mean, the one good thing in the media 
Uh, we like to compliment the Rough Riders, uh, not criticize them, that's for sure. We enjoy that much more. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. And a pleasant good afternoon, Saskatchewan, of course. This is Dawn filling in for Ballsy, and that's because Ballsy is in Lotus Land. That's Vancouver. I call it Lotus Land once in a while uh, because there's nice flowers out there, some lotuses, I believe. But that's where he is, uh, and that's where I am, and let's keep the show rolling. And I'm joined on the sports cage by Mark Stephen Veteran, play-by-play voice of the Calgary Stampeders on CHQR. 770 in Calgary. Uh, Mark, you've been the voice for as long as I can remember. I can't even remember who was the Stampeder voice before you. So how many years have you been doing the play-by-play for the Calgary Stampeders on radio? 26. Since 1996, first regular season game at Taylor Field when Jeff Garcia hit Terry Vaughn for a 104-yard pass and run. So that was the first regular season game. Boy, I had a pretty good play. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) It was. It was pretty amazing. Book checked the record book. That was one of the, as you might expect, longest plays in team history. So, yeah, it was a long time ago. Great way to start. Now, you've got a former Calgary Stampeder safety as your color man. Uh, has Greg been your color man the whole 26 years? All but one year. Just the first year, Marshall Toner, former U of S Husky, did it for one year. Then uh, he got off too busy and just couldn't commit to it. And so Greg has done it ever since. And uh, we are the longest-serving broadcast tandem in CFL history. So it's uh, really good to be with them. We know each other very well, both in and outside the booth. So uh, he'll be uh, in Winnipeg with us here today again. And, of course, we're referring to Greg Peterson. Yeah. Now, yep. uh, Bob Irving, retired last year after doing an incredible, mind-boggling, stunning 47 years as the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Mark, I ask you this. Will you catch Bob Irving? No. I want to say, I can safely assure you, I don't know what I'll get to, but the 47 will stand atop the mountain for as long as I'm around. I can say that. Yeah, that's, I don't think that'll ever be. I'm still 21 years away, so. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Well, you never know. Never say never. Now, interestingly enough, you actually spent a year in Regina, did you not, in sports casting? Yeah, I did at uh, a now defunct station, which uh, is uh, out of business now. But yeah, it was uh, enjoyable, but uh, had a great opportunity back at home in Calgary. So uh, left after one year in the Reuben Berry era. So that's how long ago it was. Good old Saskatchewan tough. Uh, Reuben yeah. Berry. <laughs> Bury your chest to the North yeah. Prairie wind, said yeah. Rube. I, said, I did that once in training camp. He thought it was funny. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> Well, we're here to talk to you, obviously, about uh, different things, uh, particularly the Calgary quarterbacking situation. Uh, Bo Levi-Mitchell benched for the second game, I guess you could say, not starting. Jake Mayer is in for him. What do you think about that move? Well, I saw it coming. Uh, they had to do something. It's been, you know, four and a half games where there's been a real struggle and inconsistency on offense. And they did uh, make the change at halftime in Toronto, but they've been going on before that. So this wasn't just a poor half in Toronto. And, you know, they've got to kickstart things. They're uh, trying to keep pace with both Winnipeg and the uh, BC Lions. But also they've got a situation where they have to worry about Saskatchewan from behind. And, uh, you know, they just can't take anything for granted. So they elected to make the move. And yeah, it's a pretty seismic change, I gotta say, because other than through injury or a game where, you know, the standings didn't count or the game was no longer in dispute, uh, I believe I 
Mitchell has been on the field for most of the last 10 years, so it is going to change. Now, how's he taking it? Uh, you know, he looked absolutely stunned on the sideline uh, in Toronto when he was pulled. Like, I would say he looked shocked. How, how, how's he doing? Well, now he's, I think it's, uh, you know, gone away, the shock and the realization of what was going on because, you know, he's never really throughout his entire career, never mind the CFL, also at college at Eastern Washington, heck, even in high school at Katy, Texas. This never really happened to him. I mean, he's played uh, all the time, so nobody's ever said, uh, you got to come out because it's not happening. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he was shocked. Uh, he was shocked. I think he's taken it much, much better now over the last couple of days and uh, just realizing what's going on. He said, out an Instagram message, which I thought was, uh, you know, fairly authentic. He just said, I'm disappointed, I'm a competitor, I want to play, but now I'll stand beside uh, Jake and get him all coached up and uh, help him in any way I can, and uh, I'll just work on getting back on the field. So can't really expect him to say anything less, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Now, Jake Merrick gets thrown right into the fire. Uh, basically, the Blue Bombers and the Lions are atop the league in defensive statistics. So, uh, well, you know, will Dave... Uh, look ahead uh, to possibly going back to Bo if, if Jake Mayer struggles tonight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he will. Uh, you know, they got to keep pace with those teams, but that's certainly not the intent. This is not going to be, a, a, you know, a rotation of any kind or a, a changing things up. This is uh, uh, Jake Mayer's team for the foreseeable future, and we'll see how he does. If he succeeds, great. But if not, you know, they do have a very uh, talented and experienced weapon uh, standing on the bench as well. You know, Jake Mayer was 2-1 and one last year. He played here and actually set a CFL record with 17 consecutive completions. So uh, he did play well against Winnipeg last year. Maybe he didn't know what he was doing, but he you know, yeah. didn't know enough to be afraid of those guys. Anyway, but it was a very good outing. In fact, the Stampeders really played the Blue Bombers hard. Uh, they played them hard the first two times they met this year, but Winnipeg did win both, and that's why they are where they are. Well, there's no doubt about the fact that Jake Mayer did outplay Bo in Toronto. That's for sure. Now, yeah. uh, when you take a look at Stampede, Stampeder quarterback history, John Hoffnagel doesn't trade for quarterbacks he doesn't look for quarterbacks from other teams he develops his own uh, along with with Dave Dickinson doesn't he like you guys yeah. are clearly uh since Huffnagel's arrived are the best team in the CFL at finding quarterbacks yeah, they do it mostly in everywhere, but quarterback's the highest profile position. They train, they nurture, and they develop their quarterbacks. It's been a steady stream of success of quarterbacks. And you know what? You know, i got to say this decision with Bo Levi Mitchell, I think most people understood, but there was a faction. I get, you know, the texts and stuff. People were not happy, wanted to give Bo Levi Mitchell another chance. All I can say is this is the right decision because if, uh, you know, the players uh, are evaluated by these guys, the call is right. Uh, they Dickinson with uh, Mark Mueller and John Huffnagel evaluate it, and when they evaluate quarterbacks, they've got it right. Now, two brothers had to make a big decision this past week. Brother one, and I'll call him one because he's the older one, Craig older Dickinson, one, yeah. he had to decide whether to play Cody Fajardo, who's struggling, or Mason Fine, who outplayed Fajardo last week against BC, and then uh, Dickinson number two, brother number two, only number two because he's the youngest. Dave, he had to make a similar decision, and he, he went with with the backup. What's the difference in, in what they were looking at, do you think, Mark? Well, uh, first of all, I guess I would, you know, because we haven't seen Saskatchewan yet, uh, see in the last couple of weeks. Obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure with the Grey Cup being there, and Cody Fajardo has uh, really struggled as well. And he's, he's fighting injuries as well. And I don't pretend to know his health situation, but looking from afar, <laughs> 
looks like he needed a break and he's going to get one. There's no health issues though with Bo Levi Mitchell. He's fine. He's he had some issues, but uh, you know there's no issues there. So I would say uh, the difference is that maybe a little more pressure on Saskatchewan. Uh, you know the Stampeders have a more experienced, although not wildly experienced, a backup quarterback. Those would be kind of the different factors there. Now it's interesting because. Uh... Uh, Calgary's actually got a pretty good record. I mean, your your record is is fine. You've had those losses to the Blue Bombers. You're hoping to get that straightened out uh, tonight. Uh, I guess that's the way it goes in Calgary, though, isn't it? Even though the team is looking good in the standings or reasonably good, if if Dave Dickinson doesn't think the quarterback's playing as well as you should, he'll make a change. Yeah, and there certainly has no problem doing it. Uh, there's kind of some underlying numbers here. You're right, the uh, the win-loss record, and in the end, that's all that counts, uh, is very good. But uh, you look at the stats and you break them down, uh, you know, the quarterbacks have generated together, uh, mostly Bo Levi Mitchell, just 18 offensive touchdowns this year. That's It's not the worst, but it's far from the best. And, uh, you know, a lot of things have been uh, patched over. They've had seven uh, non-offensive touchdowns, as in kick or interception or fumble returns. They've also got Rennie Paredes, who has kicked 31 field goals this year. That's a record pace if he keeps it up in the second half. So the point I'm trying to make is uh, that the offense has been okay but uh, they've had some help from uh, other sectors of the team. That probably explains why they are where they are and maybe one of the underlying reasons they did make the quarterback change. Right, and I guess I, I forgot to say uh, last question ago is that, of course, when you look at the decisions the two Dickinson brothers had to make, Jake Mayer has a lot more experience yeah. than, than uh, Fine, than Mason Fine, that's for sure. So that certainly did come into play. Now, talking about the scheduling in the CFL, you guys are getting the short stick tonight. And I mean the short stick because yeah. you're playing Saturday in Toronto, the last game of the weekend in the CFL. Then you have to play tonight, Thursday already, in Winnipeg. Uh, I mean, what did you do? Did, did Calgary go back to Calgary? Did the Stampeders go back to Calgary? What did you do? Because you have such a short time frame there. Yeah, exactly. Because of that, they went to uh, Guelph, Ontario, and used the uh, facilities there at Alumni Field in Guelph, Ontario. So, you know, it's actually a very nice facility there. So, stayed up there. That Sunday was a complete off day, and then uh, had a light workout on Monday, a full workout on Tuesday, then uh, left from the airport in Kitchener to come here on uh, Wednesday. So, you know, it, you're right. It didn't make a lot of sense to leave Toronto. It's, uh, you know, it's a three and a half hour flight, so you can fly over and look down at Winnipeg, only to turn around and come back to Winnipeg barely two days later. So that's the decision they made. Makes sense. There have been some funny, funny quirks in the CFL schedule. Winnipeg is just coming off their first bye, so they're rested playing the Stamps. Stamps have already had uh, two byes, so they only get one more the rest of the way. There's some other anomalies in the schedule. I guess we could spend a whole hour on them, but uh, this is the way it is, and uh, the Stampeders are going to have to tough it out on a very short week. This is their third and final Thursday night game of the year yeah well let's just say we i I think i know what you think about the schedule makers and the buy makers uh, yeah, it's you know not crazy. It just drives me crazy. Here's the you know I, you can't space them out perfectly. I understand that, but uh, you know uh, other teams will have a lot more buys down the stretch to rest players, and uh, uh, I don't know what the most equitable way is, but I uh, hopefully look at it next year to spread them out a little uh, better so that uh, you know teams like Winnipeg don't have a bunch of buys down the stretch or any team for that matter because it is a competitive advantage. I think. 
Yeah, so Rough Rider fans, you should know that other teams are getting the short stick too. Not just the Rough Riders. I guess speaking of the Rough Riders, now, again, with the weird schedule, you don't play them to the last two weeks of the regular season. I think you come here uh, at the end of October, towards the end of October here in Saskatchewan, finish off with the last game of the regular season uh, in Calgary. So, uh, you know, that's that's strange in itself, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, in what you've seen, uh, what do you think's going wrong with the Rough Riders as they've only won one game in the, in the last five, and that's only against Edmonton? Yeah, well, a couple of things that I've seen from afar. You touched on it, the quarterback play, just not being up to standards and par. Uh, the team has also struggled with the offensive line, and uh, those have been a couple of issues there. You know, those are probably issues that I think everybody's identified and filled your phone lines with. So those are the two big ones that I see right there. Can they get it together for the second half? I guess we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, clearly it would be nice to repeat 2013, wouldn't it, to have the home team in the Grey Cup. It's, uh, you know, a little bit of a distant long shot now, but who knows, there's still a second half to go and see how the teams all unfold here. Well, it's a long shot because it appears the only way they do it is through a crossover. And, of course, no yeah. team has ever crossed over and made it to the Grey Cup in CFL history so far. But isn't it appear right now that it's a lock that the top three are – are definitely Winnipeg, Calgary, and BC? Looks like it that way. I would say that, yeah, I, I agree. that Those are the three teams that have jumped ahead of everybody. And you mentioned BC, and I just want to, you know, from what we've seen, and we get them, uh, you know, coming up in a few weeks here, uh, look, I know it's a huge catastrophic loss to lose Rourke, but their receiving core is really good. I mean, you know, that's part of the reasons he has success besides the fact he's good. I think their defense gets zero attention because the offense has been getting all the headlines. I still think they're good. Are they going to be as good as they were in the first half? Probably not, but they're not falling into the abyss either. I still think they're pretty good. Yeah, I think that's you're right on. I mean, the BC line yeah. defense, not getting any credit at no. all. Well, Mark, good luck to the Stampeders. Uh, tonight, I know Rough Rider fans will not in any way, shape, or form like the fact that I just said that to you. <laughs> well, well, okay. we'll see. I hope all I can say is for people, I hope this game is a compelling, drama-filled, twists-and-turn game that they played the first two times, once here and once in Calgary. They were both sensational, entertaining games, and let's hope another one of those comes down the pike tonight here. Let's hope they were the two best-played CFL games so far of the yeah. season. Well, congratulations on your 26 years as the radio play-by-play voice of the Stampeders, Mark, and have a good uh, evening tonight. Oh, yeah, we will, and uh, off to Regina towards the end of the year. Who knows exactly what that game will mean, but uh, I look forward to it. Thank you, Mark. Okay, thank you. And it's Don Hewitt along with Zinger Sean Kleisinger. Here's a weird one about the rider depth chart, uh, Zinger. Uh, last Friday uh, against the Lions here at Saskatchewan, uh, a very strange situation occurred when Jamal Campbell went down several times with muscle cramping. Of course, as we all know, muscle cramping means you're dehydrated. Uh, the, the Rough Riders felt that the dehydration was likely the result of too many energy drinks. Wow. Because wow. energy drinks uh, contain caffeine, mm -hmm. and some of the ingredients of energy drinks will dehydrate you. So a warning to all CFL players. If you're drinking an energy drink, pound down the water. Yeah, I mean, at least it's might as well be drinking booze before a game, Don. If uh, you... <laughs> uh, too many Red Bulls and down you go, Zinger. Any more texts? Yeah, we, we got a lot of uh, texts on the text line uh, today, Don. The text line, 306 
It's for Capital GMC Buick Cadillac, Saskatchewan's number one GM dealership. And uh, we got uh, Hannah on the text line saying, Love to hear that Don's hosting today's sports cage. Always love Don's perspective. Am I the only one thinking Frankie Hickson is going to have a big-time game tomorrow night, says Hannah. She says, I think it will be a close game, but I do believe the Riders will come out on top. Uh, sorry, that was uh, from Jeremy. That was uh, Jeremy's text, uh, uh, Don. So Jeremy loves to hear the Don, the professor on the airwaves. We also got... Uh, uh, sorry, do you want to comment about that, Don? I don't want to cut you off. Well, there. I mean, I, I I can't help but say I like Jeremy. Yeah, Jeremy There's sounds no like doubt. a smart guy, doesn't but he? I think he's right. I think Frankie Hickson has that explosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, great job by Jeremy O'Day to have two quality t- top running backs, really. I mean, Jamal Morrow is a, is a good back. He's as good as there is in the league, and he's leading the league in rushing, and they've got a heck of a good replacement. So Jeremy O'Day taking lots of criticism. I'm going to talk to Glenn Suter about that uh, in the next segment. But uh, Hickson, uh, I think Jeremy might be right. Hickson could be in for a decent game. Let's hope so. And Brian says there's a lot of people that are tired of watching that boring pop gun offense of the Riders. And I am one of them, says Brian. He says those two seats won't be taken. I can uh, I can uh, guarantee you that. I'm not quite sure what that, but... Uh, well, yeah. yeah, he's probably saying, you know, you get going on offense or I'm not going to go to the next game. I see. I see. I mean, You're smarter than me. Don't. <laughs> I well, don't know what's going on. <laughs> what's well documented. There's clearly pressure on the offensive line and Cody Fajardo in particular to play better. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's hope, uh, I mean, uh, Kyran Moore is back in the lineup. Of course, he was hurt October 30th of last year against the Montreal Alouettes. He was a huge loss, and now he's a huge plus. And let's just hope Cody can get some chemistry with Kyron Moore because, I mean, I love Moore. He's, he's sort of what they haven't had, that fast uh, inside receiver that can break it right down the gunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, TC is also on the text line, 306-936-6262. Uh, you can uh, text me up. It's the Capital GMC text line. And TC says, dudes, I have a sneaking suspicion that Nick Marshall or one of the defensive secondary members is going to absolutely school the young O'Connor tomorrow. House call, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. So TC, he's feeling it, Don. We are not even like 24 hours away yet, and I think TC wants to take the field and put on a helmet and run through somebody. How's that sound? Uh, you know, uh, with the, the importance of the Rough Riders to this province, I think a lot of fans, uh, when the team... Uh, is losing, uh, losing, you know, uh, for the last five games. Uh, they, we all want to put on a rider jersey and run through a wall somewhere, Zinger, <laughs> to try to help the team. I know that if I tried to do that, I would not help the team. And if you tried to do that, oh, you well, don't want to see that. You, I'll stick you'd to just sma- be, you wouldn't help the team, but it would be less of a problem if I tried to do it. Let's uh, put it that way. Yeah, I'll just stick. I'll just stick to like smashing plates over my head when it comes to being frustrated. Like, no, no, I've never done that before. I'm so, what kidding. are you in an Italian wedding when you're watching the Rider Games? <laughs> smashing plates over your head? No, the only thing I've broken due to frustration before was I actually smashed the coffee table once. You're kidding? No, I'm with my fist. I, I, oh, I, who was whose coffee table? Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to say. You know, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna well, say. Bottom line is, though, Don. The only thing that matters is, you know, the end results. And the end results was, uh, or were, 
my hand being a bit cut up, you know, my my ego being down a bit more, you know, uh, me being a bit more sad. It was due to one of my sports teams that were not performing <laughs> quite correctly. So, Well, I can tell you right now, either your wife or your parents and your dad, Pat, were not happy with your antics with that coffee table at all. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, Brian texts back on the text line. He says, Zinger, you said the Labor Day Classic is sold out. I said there will be two seats that won't be used for oh, sure okay. because of the boring office. See, the, I, no, thank you. Thank you, Well, Brian. let's hope, Brian, I need some help sometimes because, to get through things. Well, I want to tell Brian one thing. I don't know how much time we have left there, Zinger, but yeah, 30 I want to seconds. say, okay, 30 seconds. Uh, one thing I'll say to Brian, Brian, no matter what happens tomorrow night in Vancouver, come to the Labor Day Classic. You get a flyover and the excitement and the buzz in the stadium is second to none. In fact, I will say this without, if you take out any specialty events that might happen in Saskatchewan, this is the number one sports event of the year in Regina and Saskatchewan. Brian, come, because it's just, it's a party at Mosaic and it's, it's a great time. So I hope you, you come no matter what. Come, Brian. Come, the stadium. We built it. Now we're waiting for you to come. Labor Day Classic coming up uh, next Sunday. So, Don, we're going to head to break on the other side. It's some press coverage with yourself and Glenn Suter. And press coverage uh, with Glenn brought to you by Quality Tire. With nine locations across Saskatchewan, qualitytire.ca. Uh, Glenn Suter, of course, played 11 seasons for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He was a three-time CFL All-Star. He was a five-time Western All-Star one of the most cerebral football players I think that's ever played in the CFL. And now he is using his cerebral powers to the benefit of TSN and is in a Hall of Fame as a result. So there you go. What more can we say about Glenn Suter? And we're just thrilled that he's back on the sports cage with us uh, this evening. Now, Glenn, uh, yesterday, uh, Ballsy had Jeremy O'Day on, the general manager, uh, and O'Day hasn't done a lot of interviews uh, of late. Uh, he did seem, uh, I guess in his voice, he did seem a little weary, I would say, uh, because he's probably hasn't gone through really a, a tough situation since uh, being a general manager, hasn't probably received the criticism uh, before uh, because he's made the Western final the first two years he was the general manager. And I remember some months ago when, you and I were on together. You said he's one of the best, if not the best, general managers in the CFL. Do you still feel that way? Well, yeah. I, I you know, nothing has changed in that regard. I mean, I, I, I would put Huffnagel up there as probably mm-hmm. the best. Um, but, you know, I think Jeremy is working his way towards being sort of uh, 1A, 1B kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I just... The, the general manager and that role being to not overreact or underreact right to to always understand the culture is so important the top to bottom how are you how how are you building the culture and i and i know it is an overused term but it because the athletes are so close and all are so good at the pro levels that that is the difference the difference is that you build a locker room that respect each other, play for each other, 
And that's part of the process for a GM. When they sit down for those interviews, for instance, in, in the draft, the interviews to me are as, as important or maybe more important than the testing of bench press, 40-yard dash, and that stuff. I mean, you know, if, if you run a 4.6 and not a 4.5, are you kidding me that that may change your draft stance? I mean, who mm-hmm. cares? Honestly, I mean, the, the fact that coaches, more in the NFL than CFL, but that coaches actually take that one-tenth of a second and they really think, well, we can't draft him in the second round now because he's a 4-6, not a 4-5. And I go, what? on the football field, do you think that tenth of a second matters? Not a chance. Now, if you get a 4-2 guy, <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got a speed guy that can do some things to, uh, you know, influence coverage and things. But, you know, when you're talking about tenths of a second, that's why I think the interview process to me is is more important to learn about the person, the player's family, his work ethic, you know, what he believes in, what are what what makes him tick and will he fit in the locker room that we're trying to build? And I think Jeremy O'Day takes great, um, you know, that's that's one of his areas that I think he really emphasized. I, I really do. I because he's been in the room and he's been on a winning championship team, so he knows what that culture needs to feel like to win. And that's why, you know, I put him up there as one of the best. Right, and you know what that culture is like from 1989 as well. Now, now tomorrow night in Vancouver, do you think you know the culture? The is the rider chemistry in the locker room being tested tomorrow night? Do you believe? I think it's been tested for the last five weeks. Yeah, I, I really do. I, you know, I, I think when, you know, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not blaming Garrett Marino, but this is kind of when it started. I mean, there, mm-hmm. were, there were lots of little signs when they had discipline problems prior to that incident. But that incident and the ugliness after it and how Coach Dickinson had to address that at length for not only that day after the game, but the entire week, you know, and then the suspension and all of the discussion there. And and all of those things have become, in my mind, uh, something that could be the catalyst to an issue in your locker room. Now, again, I'm, I'm not blaming Garrett because guys on that team have taken turns with these discipline problems. So, that has been tested, but at the time, Don, I, I said, and I think others did too, that stuff like this will either galvanize the room or it'll pull it apart. And there really is no in-between. Because the reason it gets pulled apart is that some guys think that he should react differently, he should have played differently, and he should now respond differently and apologize. Others will say, who cares? I like the guy. He's my guy. Forget it. Right there, the room is divided. Now, if that grows and grows and other things come into it, those guys are still human beings in there and it can really fester. Or if it's handled right, which I think it was. At the end of the day, I think Coach Dickinson, I would have liked to have heard more from Garrett, but he did apologize and move on. Um, and, And in that it did, I think it was treated, you know, fairly well let's put it that way um i think it could have that galvanizing effect and that test is underway right now so basically over those five weeks is this team going to come together and really push and compete that doesn't mean they'll win every game in this down the stretch but i mean push and compete and 
come together and pick each other up. Like, no more frustrating looks from receivers, no more throwing your hands up in the air because a guy missed a block and you didn't run for a touchdown, no more, you know, whatever, where you see these signs of guys going, oh, what's going on? Come on. Mm-hmm. No, just pick yourself up, think about the next play, pick up your teammates, say, don't worry about that one, let's go, because all that matters is the very next play. That's all that matters, not the history, not the future, not what happens next week. All that matters is the very next play. If they concentrate on that and pick each other up, I think the talent is there. I think the talent is there to not only beat BC tomorrow night, I think it's there to take a run into the playoffs, and, and who knows after that. Yeah, and I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, it didn't help that Marino was fined again this week, and he deserved it. I mean, BC offensive lineman not ready. Uh, head down, gets bowled over. Uh, I don't know what you thought of the TSN panel uh, when they went after Marino at halftime of the broadcast last Friday. What did you think of that, by the way, when the panel sort of... uh, Or maybe did you talk to Ballsy about this already? I don't know if you did. No. No, I haven't done it. I, um, you know, my politically correct answer is, hey, those are my teammates. They can say what they want. (laughs) My, my, my My honest opinion is that I think they went too far. Um, you know, I, I think that it was a, a, a bad decision by Marino, but I'm also giving him some of the benefit of the doubt in that what I watched in that particular play was that he didn't hear, he didn't realize the play was blown dead and he just took off. Um, again, that's a bit of a stretch, but he had to know. The reason I, I think it was a bad decision was that he had to know the spotlight was on him. So he had to not only push the line, but he had to stay slightly behind the line. That line mm, in yes. the sand, the you know that we're talking about. But the panel at ha- at halftime, I think they went too far. I think to say, well, he never learned anything, and that I mean, I'm I'm paraphrasing because I I don't you know I don't remember it word for word, but I no. I do remember thinking, like, hey, that's that's too far. He, he, you know, he's not the villain that you're you know we're going to continue to make him out, and and he served his suspension, so let's take every incident from now on on its own merit. And um, but that's the honest answer. I you know sometimes I don't agree with those guys. I really don't. Sometimes I'll argue with them on the air. <laughs> you know yeah. when they, mm-hmm. we come back from halftime, I'll say you know what Milt said. I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> and that's good television. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's what I mean by when when I see it, I evaluate it based on my time in the game and the games that I've covered and mm-hmm. the different scenarios, the the discussions with. So many coaches, you know, from the late Ron Lancaster through Mark Tressman and the Dickinson brothers and all those interviews that I've had and discussions I've had, and sometimes not just about football, but bigger things in life. And, you know, I, I get sort of a sense of this is where my foundation is. So I'm going to say it. I'm going to say what I believe. To me, you put the team first concept at the forefront and everything grows or builds from there. And if you're not being a good teammate, you're wrong. That's that's my point, really, in a general way. Well, I think that's interesting, very interesting. And and I agree with you. I did think it went a little overboard. It did go overboard with Reno halftime. Sorry about my voice. I'm sort of losing it today, Glenn. Anyway. It's you, okay. I'm going to get you some honey and lemon, my friend. We'll get that set up. Come on, Zinger. Let's work on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think Zinger would be as useless as it can be getting me honey and lemon at be this right moment. Be right back, boys. But, Glenn, you know this market because you played here for 11 seasons. I mean, that's 
That's over a decade you lived here as a player for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, so you know it as well as I do, to be honest. And you know what it's like when the Rough Riders are losing. It's like a soap opera. We're all It's the young and the restless is what it is in Saskatchewan when the Rough Riders are losing. And there's umpteen rumors, innuendos, uh, criticisms, uh, fantasies at times, I think, about what's going wrong. And how hard is it, and you've gone through it as a player, how hard is it to tune that out here? Well, you know, I it, it, it's hard because we're all human, and the human side is it's hard to be criticized. And it doesn't matter if that's in your school, in elementary school, or college, or beyond, or your workplace. Um, you know, when the boss comes in and says, you're not playing well enough, or you're not doing the right things at work, and we need you to be better, it's hard. Sometimes you can push back at that and sometimes you internalize it and it and it becomes sort of something that depresses you and I think what football teaches you one of the great lessons in the game is that there will be peaks and valleys and you have to understand when you go in that you need to figure out a mechanism to manage those things because you know how it I, I sort of switched with it Don was it, it was hard for a long time, especially after my penalty in 89. We don't have to go into that again, by the way. We just, I'm just going to throw that out. But after that, um, you know, I started to see so much of the good as well, letters that mm-hmm. people wrote to me um, supporting me and, and, you know, all my teammates and the way they handled it. And then I thought, you know, this just means that this market is passionate. So every time I see criticism, unless you curse at me, if you curse at me, I'm blocking you. So just right, so you know. Right. But but <clears throat> if, if it's if it's you know criticism or I didn't think you should have said that or I thought it was you know something else and it's an argument, whatever, an opinion, I, I think of it as I, I sure am glad that I was part of and thankful that I was part of the history of the writers to play in front of a passionate fan base that do make it a soap opera i think it's fantastic that everyone has an opinion about the quarterback in that in that province i mean i spent some extra days after our last game there and spent actually got a chance to go to kenosi and and play on the longest crib board ever (laughs) (laughs) ever made um you know and and everybody there was talking about the riders quarterbacks i mean this, this is fantastic because it is a passionate fan base that is completely engaged even when the team's not playing. And to me, that is something to be thankful for. So as a player, it's hard to get there, it's, especially when you're young. It's hard to get there. But you really have to work at it. I think um, Darian Durant worked at it. Mm-hmm. It, it. It was tough for him at the beginning, and I had many a long conversations with Darian about it. And after a while, he kind of went, you know what? It's what happens across the stripe, and I think these fans are passionate, and let's see if we can win a championship for them. And he went out and did that and got it done. So, you know, I, I've, I've switched it from rather feeling like they're angry at me and mad at me. I just said they're a passionate group that want to see better. I want better. No one's a harder judge than the players themselves on themselves. But – you know, I, I think you have to work on a mechanism. Cody's in the middle of it right now, Cody Fajardo. I think he's he's not there yet. It still affects him, but in a negative way. 
But I think he's getting there. I think he's starting to understand. And sometimes that honestly just means no more social media for a while. It, it does. Sometimes you've got to get away from it. Yeah. Well, I, I wish you could talk to him after what you went through in 89. I really do. But uh, we'll talk uh, more with Glenn Suter uh, after this quick break. 551 with the sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. They're hiring right now, looking for service technicians, starting salary, nice $75,000 plus a signing bonus. You can give them a call at 781-2090. The Saskatchewan Rough Runners have announced it will be a full house at Mosaic Stadium when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers make their first visit to the stadium this season. The 57th edition of the Labor Day Classic has sold out. Awesome news there today. Other big news in Rider Nation today, according to John Hodge of Three Down Nation, receiver Braden Lenius will be signing once again with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Lenius went down south for a brief stint, a brief stint of tea, if you will, Don, with the Atlanta Falcons, even if you can, I don't even think you can call it a brief stint of tea. I don't even tea. like they call it a cup of coffee. I don't think he got off, I don't think he got off the plane. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, glad to have him back in Radder Nation, that's for yep, sure. for sure. Okay, let's get on here with the press coverage with Glenn Suter. Uh, I remember, Glenn, one of your former teammates, uh, middle linebacker Dave Albright, sitting in an ice tub after one game. And I was shocked. I had to go, what the heck? Because about, I would say, seriously, 75% of his body was red, black, and blue. I'd never seen a person that bruised uh, in my life. Uh, Football players are tough individuals. And yesterday, Oklahoma Thunder rookie uh, Chet Holmgren went down with the same injury as Nathan Rourke and they announced that he would miss the entire NBA season, the upcoming NBA season. Uh, but Glenn, an NBA player, a basketball player, and a football player, you know, and basketball is a great game. I love basketball. I'm a Raptors fan. Mm-hmm. They are two different breeds in some respect. I don't know if there's another breed like a football player. And, you know, Holmgren will miss the entire next season, but how about Nathan Rourke with his character? Do you think he'll... He'll surprise people and get back before the end of the year? Um, yeah, I think he'll be ready. Uh, I don't know if the organization will allow him to go back early mm-hmm. uh, if he's ahead of schedule. You know, I think there's got to be some sort of balance there where the doctor and organization and, and Rick Campbell and Amar Doman could even get involved in this discussion, um, you know, rather than risk you know going in for one game it let's say the the lions make the playoffs and you know they've got a nice little cushion right now uh but let's say they make the playoffs and and nathan is back in time for that playoff game well are you going to take a chance that you lose him again early and now he's right back at step one for his rehab and it may threaten the next season you know i i don't know if you want to take that gamble and risk so so we'll see i mean he's got a great work ethic and he'll apply that to this rehab. And I think, you know, if, if I were to be a betting guy, I'd probably bet on the fact that he'd be ready earlier. Now, whether that means he plays earlier, I don't know. But I, you know, I, I think they should think of the bigger picture. Um, you know, you always want to win and you want to win right now and you want to win this year. But th- this kid's got a very bright future. Um, and I, I just would be, I, I hate using the word careful because you're right. Guys are tough, and if a linebacker can do it, so can a quarterback. But 
you also have to look at the type of injury and then it gets way out of my expertise. <laughs> well, no, it is. And, and I mean, I thought Nathan Rourke would be going to the NFL next year. I thought there'd be a bidding war, which would be both the Lions and CFL's loss. But possibly, we only have about a minute left here, Glenn, but possibly this injury might keep him in BC another season. Do you think that's possible? Absolutely. And I, I think it's possible that he would have stayed even if he wasn't injured and he was on the same trajectory. Uh, because I know of the politics being around it so long that guys that come down from the States or from Canada to the States, especially Canadians going that way, like look at Braden Lenius. Braden Lenius is good enough to play in the NFL. He didn't get an opportunity and he didn't get a chance to show that he was good enough, mm -hmm. but he is. I can tell you right now, athletically, he is good enough. So Interesting. the question... The question is not, is he good enough to play down there? The question is, is it a real opportunity? And that comes with a signing bonus. That comes with, you know, what does that look like? But we saw Casey Pritters mm -hmm. go down, and it didn't work out when he went down, you know, at the wrong time and didn't get a real opportunity. Right. And then we Sorry, see Glenn. Win. Sorry, Glenn. Yeah, we, we got to go. But we, we see Warren go. win championships and then go afterwards. So. There's, uh, there's two there's two paths. Thanks, Don. You bet. Yeah, we'll enjoy your work tomorrow night. Sports Cage continues in just a moment. And, of course, Ballsy in Vancouver as he prepares for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and BC Lions uh, tomorrow night. Kickoff 8.30, so it's a late one. And, of course, we'll have the pregame and the postgame on either side uh, of that contest uh, with Daniela Ponicelli, uh, Wes Cates, and myself. Sports Cage is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM and get 15 free spins on the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. It's time now for Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. Time now for Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. Our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all. From Hockey Night in Canada, the Olympics, World Series Baseball, and everything in between. This is Coast to Coast with Arash Madani. Coast to Coast brought to you by Smart Investing Solutions. Be smart with your money. Call Brian Golly at Smart Investing Solutions, 546 33 the toronto blue jays did it again in you know a way that we're not used to them doing it low scoring extra innings but arash they found a way to get it done they found a way to get it done and they did it in the way that you know they lost these games these kind of games earlier this season they weren't able to find different ways to win and you know if you're watching last night that felt like a high wire act Throughout, you know, the Red Sox, the bases loaded in the seventh inning, stranded all three base runners. Bases loaded in the eighth, Blue Jays came out unscathed. And you think about how they did it with Jimmy Garcia reaching back for 97, 98 miles an hour, Anthony Bass cleaning up the mess that was left behind. The Blue Jays in the first few months of the year somehow kind of collapsed in these situations, especially on the road. If you're going to be a playoff team, if you're going to be in a real race, which the Blue Jays are going to be for the next six, seven weeks, those are the kinds of games you have to win, division games you got to win on the road. They finally did that last night. That, that was an important win for them, Balti. Well, if you're a Jays fan, you cross your fingers, the bullpen can keep doing it. But you need more than just pitching. And Matt Chapman made a defensive play last night. It's got to be right up there as the best play of the season in the field for the Jays. I asked John Schneider about it, 
And the interim manager said, well, that might be the best defensive play I've ever seen in my life. I asked Chapman about it, and he said, definitely the best play I've made as a Blue Jay. He said, I actually thought it was the best play of my career, but Danny Jensen told me it's not. And I actually went this morning to the YouTube, and there's a a five-and-a-half-minute video of different Matt Chapman defensive plays, and each play only lasts like seven or eight seconds. Uh, There's a bunch of them. But if you missed it, Matt Chapman's a third baseman. The Blue Jays were in the shift. Chapman had actually set up at shortstop, and then he had to move to his right, made a backhand play, and with the backhand, flung it to second to turn two for a double play. And... There is there is not a better defensive play you've seen a Blue Jay make in a generation, and that's not without hyperbole. No, was it was good. it was as good as you're going to see, and the manager and the player said as much. Yeah, Arash Madani joining us here covering the Blue Jays in Boston. Uh, George Springer continues to DH, but the way he gets injured, I'm okay with that if I'm a Jays fan. I, you almost wonder, do you put the glove away? Because Bozzi, since coming back from the elbow issue. George Springer is 15 of 25 from the plate. Yeah. Now, look, I'm not saying that Springer's going to continue to hit 600, but if you're going to get that kind of production, you know, he's the engine of this entire offense. He makes this thing go. And, you know, I asked Schneider about it. I said, you know, what about the outfield? And, he's, you know, Schneider said he's trending in the right direction. If everything kind of keeps going the way it is, maybe by next week you'll see Springer in center, Whew, I don't know, man. Like, like this is a guy who's going to probably need some kind of surgery at the end of the year. At this point, you just need him upright, healthy, producing. And when you're raking the way he is, when you're when you're 15 of 25, smoking. Um, don't mess with a good thing. Yeah, what did Oakley say? Charles Oakley, uh, don't don't break it if it ain't broken or something to that effect. It was right. something like that. Okay, let's There's sw- a Yogi Berraism in there too, I bet. Yeah, there is. Okay, so let's switch gears to the uh three down gridiron and uh, your favorite player of all time, Garrett Mar- <laughs> Garrett Marino has now been a fine for unnecessary roughness. Well, I think the fine is warranted. But I take look and what, what does a fine mean? A fine means there has to be accountability for your actions. Okay? Are we in agreement there, Bolsey? Yep. How many, how many officials on the field? A lot. How many people back at the Precious Command Center on Wellington Street in Toronto? A couple at least. And not one of them noticed that in the moment in real time in a play whistle dead, blown dead? Yeah. Like, at some point, if you're going to make the player accountable, and he should be, what about the rest of them? Like, like how many people do you need working to not be able to see something like that happen right before your eyes? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Right. I mean, at some point, and I'm not suggesting there's malice here. I'm, I'm blatantly saying it is incompetence. And for how much longer can the incompetence continue? Because what ends up happening is guys are going to get hurt and guys are going to say, well, wait a minute, if you're not going to whistle that, if you're not going to flag that, if you're not in the command center, the eye in the sky, identify that, then what is actually an infraction on the field? 
I agree 100%. And I've always said officials should be made accountable right after the game. Somebody should speak on their behalf to, uh, you know, as to what they saw, what they didn't saw, uh, see, why they made this call, why they didn't make uh, this call. So, And the officials the officials are part of it, Balti. I think this is really important. Like, you have a command center yeah, yeah. that is supposed to be there for reasons just like this to radio down. Like, is everybody asleep at the controls? Well, and that's what I'd like to see from these, uh, you know, these startup leagues. We always, uh, you know, I forget which one had it. Was it the AAF or, or whatever? They had uh, direct contact. You could see the ref and the command center talking, and they had a, a camera in the command center. I think in the TV broadcast, we should have that. We should be able to see what they're doing. Are they eating pizza? Are they even watching the game? Are they watching a rerun of Seinfeld? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we should be able to see and hear what they're doing. It would add to the experience. I'll, I'll tell you what, Arash. I've got an uneasy feeling about this game. The Riders are playing a backup quarterback in uh, Michael O'Connor. We'll get to that in a second. I, I really think it's a matchup of a guy. Opportunity is knocking. He's been in the league for a bit. He has to show he can stay in the league and continue his journey, that being O'Connor. Where on the other side, Cody Fajardo, it's a referendum on him as a starting quarterback going forward, either with the Riders or somebody in the future, and it starts tomorrow in BC. But all the attention is on Nathan Rourke and the fact he's not there. But you've got something on another Canadian. He may lead to headaches for the Rough Riders. Well, I mean... You talk about Bo Lacombo returning. Here you have a 31-year-old Canadian, the most outstanding Canadian in the league, who's missed five, six games. And it's not like it's, it was a knee issue. It's not like something that was going to, quote-unquote, slow him down from a speed standpoint. And you bring that back into the defense against a quarterback who, admittedly this week, is shook. Uh, like to me, that is, that is a major add to what BC wants to do on the defensive side of the ball, what they can do on the defensive side of the ball, and just how more dynamic they become on the defensive side of the ball against Cody Fajardo, who is he hearing footsteps? Is he doubting himself? Is he taking that extra second that can make the difference between a completion and not? You know, you, you bring you bring Bo back into the mix, uh, not Levi, but Lacombo, and it's it's a different BC defense and he brings a different look that the riders haven't seen on film for the last five weeks. So how the lions could deploy him in certain scenarios in certain packages as they ease him back in may be different than what they've seen in years past. All right. And lastly, Arash, tell us something about number 11, Michael O'Connor Vanier cup champ that we don't know. Well, let's go back to that being a cup year because that's when O'Connor had come up, come back to Canada. You know, some may know his stories from Ottawa, went to the IMG Academy in Florida, was recruited to Penn State, and Bill O'Brien was the coach at Penn State. But it was after they made the coaching change there because O'Brien returned to the NFL, James Franklin came in, he's still coaching the Nittany Lions. And I remember talking to O'Connor at length that being a cup season. And, you know, coming back home, there were so many opportunities in Vancouver and, you know, work opportunities and the rest and, you know, who knows how many other uh, add-ons he may have had to go to UBC. But O'Connor said if Bill O'Brien had remained at Penn State, he would have stayed at Penn State. And how different is the Michael O'Connor story then? If he spent four years 
five years if he redshirted at a major Division One program, at a Power Five school, and with a quarterback guru, you know, Tom Brady's quarterback coach, for instance, a guy who went on to become a head coach in the NFL with the Houston Texans. I wonder how different the path of O'Connor as a Canadian quarterback would have been, and we'll never know, but if you spend four or five years as Penn State's quarterback, could O'Connor be right now a backup in the NFL? Could he be holding a clipboard in the NFL? It's something we'll never know, and I just wonder when and how he made peace with it at what point of his life and at what point of his football career. Well, he's holding the football and being very much in charge uh, tomorrow when the Riders take on the BC Lions, a game you can catch right here, 5.30, our pregame show, 8.30 kickoff. Thanks for your time, Arash. I appreciate it. Always good, Ballsy. Thanks, Bob. Well, Don and Sean, here's a little uh, sports short segment, and you guys can uh, piggyback this. We kind of touched on this yesterday, Zinger, but here's our sports cage power rankings for the CFL. Zinger, you can reiterate yours, and you can give us yours, Don. At number nine, I got the Ottawa Red Blacks. They're going to turn to Nick Arbuckle. Maybe his last chance to prove he could be a starting quarterback in this league as Paul LaPolice desperately tries to save his job, although I don't think it's salvageable at this point. At number eight, we're going to go with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. They'd be higher if they would have hung on to beat the Montreal Alouettes. I thought Matthew Schiltz played a decent football game, but the Tiger Cats, they are not the Tiger Cats we're used to the last few years. They're coming in at number eight. At number seven on the Sports Cage CFL Power Rankings, we've got the Edmonton Elks. Taylor Cornelius and the Elks. Uh, whipped Ottawa in our nation's capital, and uh, they get a crack at him again. And with an Edmonton win and a Rough Rider loss, don't look now, but the Edmonton Elks will be nipping at the Riders' heels, even though Saskatchewan won the season series. At number six, I'm going with the Rough Riders. They got a championship defense and an ever-improving special teams unit or units, especially with the addition of Alford returning kicks. But the offense is stuck in the mud. It's been stuck in the mud all season. They haven't put together one single 60-minute effort this season. Let's see if they can do it against the BC Lions. They are number six. At number five on the Sports Cage CFL Power Rankings, the Toronto Argonauts. I picked them at five and the Riders at six because if I had to take the Argos and the Riders in a one-game showdown today on this very date, I'm probably leaning towards Toronto because, I hate to say this, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, who I don't think is a great quarterback, is playing a little better than our own Cody Fajardo in the offensive line of the Argos, much better than what we're seeing with Saskatchewan right now. I still would take the Riders if they can get their you-know-what together in offense in a crossover in the East, as I said all along, but right now today, I take Toronto over Saskatchewan. That's why Toronto is number five. At number four, the best team in the CFL's least division, the Montreal Alouettes. Despite the fact they give away free yards via the penalty, they're playing pretty good football. They did a great job against Winnipeg back-to-back, narrowly losing and then beating the Blue Bombers. And of course, they came back to beat a very stubborn Hamilton Tiger Cats team with their backup quarterback, Matthew Schiltz, playing in replace of Dane Evans. Trevor Harris looking good. The receiving core looking very dynamic. William Stanback, they say, will be back before the end of the year. And so I've got Montreal at number four. That's crazy. At number three, initially, I had the Calgary Stampeders. But as Zinger pointed out to me, 
yesterday and using the same logic that I just used to describe why I took Toronto 5 and Saskatchewan 6, I am going with the BC Lions at 3. Nathan Rourke is out probably for the year. He was on a record-breaking pace and for sure the uh, runaway winner for the MOP. I think the BC Lions are the best team in football and on their way to being in the Grey Cup as the West representative here at Mosaic Stadium. Now, I think they'll be hard-pressed to win a playoff game. No disrespect to Michael O'Connor, and I could be proven wrong. They say Kevin Thompson's a guy to watch out for in their quarterbacking stable. Uh, Pipkin is what he is, just just basically a third-string quarterback. I'm going with the BC Lions at number three that means Calgary's at number two even though Bo Levi Mitchell's on the bench Jake Mayer is a more proven commodity at quarterback than anything in BC Lion colors right now not named Nathan Rourke so I'm going with the Calgary Stampeders at two and just like in many games you go with the team with the best quarterback the best quarterback standing right now as we speak today on the sports cage is Zach Kalaros. And so that's why the Winnipeg Blue Bombers headed into tonight's game against Calgary or the number 1 team in the CFL the sports cage power rankings according to me you guys can talk about that in a second i got two more housekeeping things to take care of before i'm done here and i'm going to make mention that the winner of our sports cage boards and bags courtesy of the saskatchewan cornhole association deanna rowley yes deanna rowley congratulations you've won the board and the bags it's the number one tailgate game in north america and now you get to play wherever you want your backyard your basement entertain friends with that Great CKRM Sports Cage logo. Our cornhole boards and bag set going to you, Deanna Rowley. That's cool. Speaking of cornhole, there's a new scandal plaguing pro sports. It's called Baggate. And because of it, professional cornhole may never be the same again. The issue is that players get to bring their own bags and they have to meet certain size and weight criteria. But beyond that, nobody's really checking other important factors like loose stitching, replaced fillings, or doctored fabric. There are two major competitive bodies in America, the American Cornhole League and the American Cornhole Organization. Now, I would imagine it's probably the same in Canada in terms of the rules. In the ACO, your bag has to be filled with plastic resin beads. In the ACL, the filling can be anything that doesn't damage or create residue on the board. Bags get broken in naturally the more often they're used. And that's not fast enough for some players who will legally resort to fabric softeners or other chemical treatments. Another issue is that bag manufacturers are flooding the market and paying big bucks to be licensed by the pro leagues so they're not being held to rigorous standards. One expert says, quote, the money coming in from manufacturers for licensing the stamp is substantial. So why rock the boat by implementing additional compliance measures which make manufacturing bags under your stamp a more rigorous endeavor? Seems like it would be easy enough to fix the problem. Simply inspect everyone's bags at the beginning of the tournament. For some reason, (laughs) it's not being done right now. And now back to the sports cage bag checkers. Don Hewitt and Sean Kleisinger. Well, Zinger, of course, cornhole is a long game. Players and teams take turns throwing fabric bean bags. Mm -hmm. So those are outstanding facts. And when he, Paul, as he went to... Over the CFL rankings, I thought I thought he was pretty much bang on. I didn't argue with any, but amazingly enough, he had Hamilton at eight. I think he's right. Orlando Steinhauer, I think, is a winner. May get this going uh, again, and when Dane Evans is back this week. But uh, what did you think of his ratings? No, I uh, I totally agree with 
with his uh, power ranking today. Yesterday was a different story. I kind of had to like convince him in a way to kind of like bump down uh, BC. I I'm sure he would have done it without my convincing anyways, but I'm just trying to sound like I'm relevant here somewhat, <laughs> you know. But uh, no. It, it, you're relevant. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you right now, you're very relevant. Oh, you I keep us on the air. Uh, I appreciate it. But I, I appreciate that. But overall, I think uh, it's hard to argue that, that power ranking, right? I mean, Winnipeg has to be number one now with Rourke yep. down. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah, I would probably put Calgary above the BC Lions now because of the quarterback position. Yep. So, and Speaking of other uh, football games, uh, tonight there's a couple of uh, Canada West preseason tilts. Uh, the Rams are playing the University of Alberta in Medicine Hat. Mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting. Of course, the Rams will be uh, on CKRM Radio this season with their play-by-play, -play, Daniela Ponticelli, and I think even Zinger, you're doing the Thunder, aren't you? Or what are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing uh, the Thunder Hilltop game on uh, Football Day in Saskatchewan, September 17th, so that's uh, That'll be good. looking forward to it. Also, the Huskies are hosting Manitoba in another Canada West football preseason matchup. Mike Babcock, former head coach of the Detroit Red Wings and the Toronto Maple Leafs, has resigned as the U of S Husky uh, hockey coach. So do you think he's going back to the NHL after all the the scandal he was in in Toronto? Oh, boy. Uh I don't like we're in the day we're in the day and age now where I think it's time for this to stop where people kind of you know leave a uh, profession and coaching due to a certain reason like that and yet years later they're able to kind of crawl back into the profession like let's let's start a new era here like not no more of that you know what I mean yeah. I, I'm starting to think of like Maybe 10 years from now in the NFL, will John Gruden slowly but surely crawl underneath the crack of the door and be like, hey, remember me? Like, I was a good coach back in the day, but I did some bad things. No, no more of that. Let's put an end to it. No more. Uh, I love I, I love Babcock as a guy, but, uh, you know, just going forward, we have to start, uh, uh, you know, revolution revolutionizing things evolution it's a mystery man so we got to keep doing it well just one final rider note before we say bye-bye i really like the fact that keon schaefer baker is playing inside uh, tomorrow night in bc uh, i'm i'm interested to see what he can do mm -hmm. inside on the receiving core in the slot absolutely because the guy has speed and we all know when you're playing inside the slot up here in canada you're getting that waggle you're getting that extra oomph when you're going towards the line of scrimmage the guy's fast when he's starting flat-footed and heading down the field. So let's see this guy when he gets a bit of a head start. Who knows, maybe he's going to blow by a couple halfbacks for a couple big plays over the top. It's going to be fun. 8.30 p.m. kickoff tomorrow, Don. You bet. Well, thanks a lot. There's Zinger, Sean Kleisinger, and Don Hughes signing off for Sports Cage on, uh, well, what is it, Thursday, uh, August 25th, 2022. I can't even remember the date, Zinger. Uh, but we'll be seeing you tomorrow.